0: Wonderwork power
1: in the pressure as they seem are not the results of massive You may wish to adjust the dial you are currently tuned into the wrong station. buddy of mine started his own small business. For me, it was like having a window into a different world. One the likes of you and me don't get to climb through. All of a sudden, he's the government's favorite son. Tax write-offs and loopholes. Straight-up money from Papa Trudeau. And just like regular things cost less when the company buys them. It's like he's playing a different game from the rest of us. Makes it clear, you know, how the whole deal's set up for folks with business-level money. And the rest of us well, we're just second class. It's kind of nice, though, because as one of his buddies, I get to enjoy the perks. Well, this is a story about one of those perks. So my buddy switched offices a few years back, literally moving up from the basement to a nice ground floor suite in the same building. Maybe you know the kind of place, an old factory converted to artisan spaces. They got a high-end cafe, graphic design firm, brewery that contracts out, the brewing part. Places like that. And then my buddy's draft maintenance company. The new office was a mess when we arrived. Absolute disaster. No clue what it was before my buddy got the lease, but when we got there, it was full of metal shavings, loose insulation, and broken furniture. I don't know, maybe the unit had just been empty long enough that people used it as a dump. There was also a pile of packages and envelopes stacked on a desk in what's now the workshop. Judging by the names, they'd been sent to 20 different former tenants. I hope it's not illegal to throw out other people's mail, because we chucked like 40 pounds of it. One of the packages, though, was big. Way bigger than the others, maybe the size of a washer-dryer or a small horse. It was all wrapped in cardboard with those hard plastic ties. After cleaning everything else out, my buddy and I cracked a beer and stared at it. What do you think it is? I said. Well, right now, I'm thinking it's either a truck engine or one of those, uh, what'd you call it? Uh, Egyptian coffins. A sarcophagus. Ah, a carcophagus. Probably with a farewell folded up inside. I'm betting it's cursed. That's how come it ended up here uh, at the museum. That's probably it, I said. Oh, yeah, he said. You know what would be sick, though? What? If it was one of those big espresso machines. Oh, baby! Can you imagine? Company productivity through the roof! Mmm. We're gonna open this thing, right? snicked! With a grin, he had already flicked his pocket knife. A few minutes later, cardboard and plastic lay strewn across the concrete floor, and we were once again drinking beers, contemplating our discovery. Well, what do you think it is? I said, well, it's no esophagus, that's for sure. It might actually be an espresso maker. It sort of looks like if an espresso maker had a baby with, like, a 1940 Chevy pickup. how oh, the two of them even do it? My friend, for a $7 monthly subscription, you could watch that video. Chuckling, I stepped forward to take a closer look. Near the front, I guess, there was a shiny chrome opening sort of where the drip tray would have been if it was an espresso maker. But the hole led way back into the guts of the machine. I shone my phone's flashlight back there, but all I could see was a sideways bend in the pipe. I'm not seeing any espresso back here. Just then, something rumbled in the pipe, and I pulled my head back just in time for it to fire past my face and shatter on the floor. I almost, almost spilled my beer. My buddy was already crouching over the broken ceramic. Hey look, it's an espresso cup, Delta brand, just like at Novera. And indeed, the broken object had been one of those narrow espresso cups you get in Portuguese cafes. Do you think it just happened to be in there, or or is this like a ceramics vending machine? I felt very stupid saying that. Maybe it's a Portuguese machine, my buddy said. My buddy was Portuguese. Maybe it makes Portuguese stuff. He put his head to the opening and shouted into the machine. Que Wait, no, maybe it only does mainland Portuguese stuff. Pastel de nada. With that, the machine rumbled just like before. My buddy jerked his head back, but maybe the machine was working better now that it was warmed up because whatever it was didn't shoot out and break on the floor. My buddy and I looked at each other. You want to reach in or should I? He rolled up his sleeve. Uh, If something bites my hand off, call an ambulance, okay? He reached up into the machine and then flinched as he touched something. But nothing bit him. He withdrew with a muffin tray in his hand. Oh, that's kind of useful, I guess. Do you use a muffin tray to make pastel de nada? I said. You mean quejados? His family was from the Azores. I mean, Kajadash? That's right. But, yeah, I, I guess you would. What is this machine? Where is it from? But we didn't get an answer that night. Or even arrive at a theory. In fact, we couldn't even begin to guess how it worked. We kept reaching in and pulling out useful things, but we couldn't tell where they were stored in the machine, or even what made the machine go, since it didn't even have a plug. The best that we could figure out was that it was some sort of novelty vending machine for viral marketing. Honestly, the thing's probably worth, like, tens of thousands of dollars, my buddy said. This was a few days later. I'd stop by the office to drink espresso and stare at the big red machine. Like, probably over 100k? Easy. Whoever lost it's probably pissed. Somebody lost their job for sure. Well, it's here now, I said. Legitimate salvage. Otherwise, it just would have gone to the dump. Oh, yeah. Agreed. Do you think we should keep it when the battery runs out? I mean, it looks cool, but it does take up a lot of space. Maybe you could turn it into, like, a cake fridge or something. Now there's an idea. Oh, wait. It's pooping something out. All of a sudden, there was a rumble and a clank from the machine. My buddy put down his coffee and reached inside. Hey, Look. A keg coupler? Man, these things can cost like a hundred bucks. Free money for the company, I said. Paid forward. (laughs) Buy your buddy's beer. We took to calling the mysterious engine the Witch Machine, and as the weeks went by, we came to rely on it. My buddy found that if he spoke into the opening carefully enough, he could get the machine to supply him with all sorts of useful parts for the business faucet wrenches, vinyl tube, gas clump pliers or rolls of blue jay tape, and all for free. Meanwhile, the rest of us took to playing the witch machine game when we were drinking at the office after work. This was where we would name the dumbest things we could think of and see what the witch machine spat out. Give me some aged wood, Davis, one of the employees said. A scholar of comedy, Nat Davis, to be sure. I likes me some aged wood. Ka-thunk, thunk, thunk. Immune to innuendo, the machine spat out a seven-by-seven cube of glossy finished hardwood. Holy shit, my buddy said. Is that teak? You know how expensive teak is right now? I like aged wood. I like aged wood.
0: Thunk, thunk,
1: thunk, thunk, thunk. Teak for the teak god, my buddy roared. Gonna build us a countertop. We stayed very late that evening, and drank a significant amount, but at the end of the night, there was a pile of garbage outside the machine, things nobody could possibly need, half-formed plastic knickknacks, flimsy t-shirts, and Tupperware with missing lids. The machine kept trying to provide for us, but I think the real reason why it struggled was that we didn't really need most of what it had to offer, we were just seeing what we could get away with, and on top of that, the machine itself was functionally unable to create things that were actually useful. It was really good at producing cubes of teak. Teak seemed to be one of its favorites. But who needs a 7x7 teak cube? And the more we played with the machine, the worse the goods became. Like, it was in a race to the bottom with itself. Stainless steel tools were replaced by brass and then shoddy aluminum. Glass became plastic. By around 2am it was spitting out cubes of pine, even when you asked for teak by name. I was the last person that night to ask the machine for something. After me, people sort of lost the stomach. Give me, I announced, a new phone. For the last few rounds, the witch machine had been making a slight groan. But now, that groan turned into a whine and an ominous rattle. We all recoiled as the whine rose to a moan, and then a keening howl, sometimes mechanical-sounding, sometimes almost human. And then, the cry suddenly died with a last rattling crash, followed by a long, slow hiss. Everyone turned to look at me. I cringed. Oh, I think you got greedy, bud, my buddy said to me. Oh, I got greedy? What about everyone else? Look at you, Mr. Teak. Alright, let's see what the damn thing gave me. Crouching in front of the machine, I breached gently into its open mouth. It felt bad to do this time, like a violation somehow. The witch machine trembled a little at my touch. I almost want to compare it to the feeling of touching a frightened animal. I know that sounds crazy, but I almost apologized to the thing. I regretted reaching in almost immediately. Sure, there was something that felt like a cell phone in there, but it was warm and slippery and soaking wet. Ugh! I yanked my hand back. I was holding something like a knockoff Blackberry, a late aught slab with keys and a touch wheel. But more to the point, it was absolutely slathered in mucousy blood. A long silence fell. At last, my buddy said,
0: I think uh, that's
1: enough for tonight. After that, we let the witch machine sit for about a week before we used it again. From then on, it was once a day tops, and each time we used it, the machine shook and groaned before finally shitting out something of limited value. Mm, it's probably just low on juice, my buddy said. If we could figure out how to recharge it... But we couldn't even figure out how to open it. None of the machine's panels had any screws or rivets, And when my buddy tried to pry open one with a flathead, the engine screamed and started bleeding from the mouth. The sound was uniquely horrible. It left us both feeling pale and shaken, like you do after a bout of food poisoning. I don't think I'll try that again, my buddy said. The machine was still trembling and panting. And of course, of course, that was the exact moment that a knock came at the office door. We both turned to look. An extraordinarily tall man was crouching outside the glass, knocking with two knuckles. I do mean extraordinarily. He was stretched and hairless, his skin pale and his eyes a startling shade of baby blue. We stared for a moment, and he knocked again. Slowly, I went to the door and half-opened it. Can, Can I help you? My buddy called. The man gently pushed past me and stepped through. He had to crouch a little bit, even though the office ceilings were ten feet high. He was wearing a superb double-breasted suit that didn't quite reach his wrists or ankles.
0: I believe you have something of mine.
1: His voice was almost artificially deep, and even though my buddy and I are both fairly tall, we had to crane our necks upward to look at him, feeling like children caught watching cartoons on a parent's work tablet. Ignoring us, the big man slowly strode to the witch machine and crouched beside it. They shipped it to the wrong address. Then his face deepened with a slow scowl. You've used it all up, he said. My buddy and I edged toward each other. It was all we could do not to hold each other's hands in fright.
0: You've used it all up. What gave you the right? We... uh...
1: It was here when we moved in, my buddy said. Even I felt like he sounded sullen and defensive. There wasn't a return address. So you thought you'd just
0: use it all up, the big man said. On what? Teak? Cheap t-shirts? I hate teak. I muttered. We made some tools as well. Oh, tools, said the big man. Well, that's okay then, isn't it? That's a great use for this. Sheesh. He shook
1: his mighty head. Neither of us could think of a comeback.
0: Do you have any idea how this affects my business? Hmm? Any at all? The shareholders are just going to cry when they hear about this. They're just going to cry and cry.
1: He turned his attention back to the machine and began to caress its trembling flanks as he murmured in a low voice.
0: All right, baby. All right, honey. Let's see if you got any juice left in you.
1: Then he stood and clapped his hands together once. Since each hand was about the size of a coffee table book, the sound was thunderous. In a booming voice, he commanded,
0: Make me a son! Uh Uh-oh,
1: my buddy muttered. And then a slow noise of distress began to rise from the witch machine. Starting out as a whimper and then growing until it was like an air raid siren. My buddy and I had to clap our palms to our ears. People from the other offices began to gather in the hall outside our door, looking in with anger and confusion as the siren shook the glass. And then, just as the sound passed the edge of human hearing, the machine made a great coughing belch, and yellow smoke began to seep between its plates, smelling strongly of burning plastic. A heartbeat later... Blood began to free-pour from its hole, as if a couple guys inside were emptying gallon buckets of crimson paint onto the floor. A silence fell. And then, from within the machine, an infant's cry. The big man jumped in the air and pumped his fist in triumph. The gesture looked ridiculous, and he bonked his dome against the drop ceilings, but he was so overjoyed that he scarcely seemed to notice. He knelt onto one bony knee and reached into the machine. The squalling child he withdrew was huge, roughly capybara-sized and covered. Covered with mucousy, purplish blood.
0: My son! My boy! Oh, the shareholders will be... Hey, wait a minute.
1: His face fell, the huge, smooth brow wrinkled with disgust.
0: It's broken. It's horrible. Just look at it.
1: And, indeed, the
0: child was
1: exceptionally deformed. Instead of hands and feet, it had fleshy draft wrenches and espresso cups. About half of its skull was filled by a blood-soaked cube of teak that was loose enough to squelch around the edges. Its belly had a chromed-out metal shelf, like an espresso maker's, but with a rough round hole that spurted copious blood. At this shocking sight, both of us went mute, and someone gasped in the crowd outside. The big man leaned close to us, scowling. This, he said, is on you. With one big finger, he poked each of us in the chest, leaving a splotch of blood. I hate teak! Then, he placed the giant baby on a nearby table and stormed out of the room, practically having to take the doorway on his hands and knees. The gawking crowd scrambled out of his way. A moment later, he was on his feet, striding with arms swaying behind him until he vanished down the hall. My buddy and I just stared at each other, and then at the baby, and then at the open door, and then at each other. One of our neighbors from down the hall was the first to break the silence. I I think her name was Megan Nice, but everybody just called her Nice Megan. Stop the bleeding, you fucking idiots! She wasn't especially nice at that moment. Storming in, she whipped a handful of t-shirts from the merch rack and began to try and staunch the bleeding from the baby's giant hole. Don't just stay in there, call an ambulance! But everyone in the doorway just stood as mute and stupid as my buddy and I. Call an ambulance! She shouted again. That, they said, won't be necessary. The crowd parted once more, revealing that the nasal voice belonged to a little guy dressed in blue coveralls. He was accompanied by several other guys in coveralls who were pushing a horizontal dolly. Also with them were a large man in scrubs and an officer of the Toronto Police. The little guy's name tag read Gary. Gary looked extremely pissed off. Not waiting for the crowd to give him room, he strode forward, elbowing and shin-kicking as he went. He stomped up to me, squinted up into my face, then wheeled on my buddy. He came up to about our sternums, each of which he jabbed with an aggressive finger.
0: "'Just what the hell is going on here?' he said. "'I'm from the company, and we just had a call from an extremely unhappy client. So where do you get off, huh? You think other people's property is just some joke?'
1: "'Hey!' My buddy began. We're not the ones who delivered it here. It was. He didn't get much further than that. Shut up! Gary screamed, turning the purple of an heirloom carrot.
0: Shut the fuck up! Shut the fuck up when I'm talking to you!
1: Sir, the police officer calmly added, I'm gonna need you to do as this man says.
0: Do you have any idea how hard it is to make these things, you rube? Do you have any fucking idea how many jobs rely on this machine? No? Well, congratulations, assholes. You've just fucked the whole economy with your tiny, pinky dicks.
1: This seemed a little unfair, but we just put our heads down and took it. The cop was carrying a gun and taser. Gary sighed and shook his head.
0: Get the thing, boys.
1: He put a hand on his hip and pinched the bridge of his nose.
0: Just, just, just get the fucking thing, okay? Dante! the baby.
1: The guys in coveralls surged forward and began to load the witch machine up onto the dolly. Meanwhile, the man in scrub stepped toward the baby, but hesitated when nice Megan started yelling at him. She was up to her elbows in the baby's stomach. What are you doing? You can't just take it away. It needs a hospital.
0: Oh my God,
1: Gary shouted, rounding on her.
0: Didn't you hear what I fucking said before? I'm from the fucking company, goddammit. That's our fucking property, you piece of shit. Fuck! Give me the baby! Give the baby to Dante, I swear to fucking God!
1: Please do as he says, ma'am, said the officer, reaching for the taser at her hip.
0: Absolutely not,
1: Megan shouted. Babies aren't property! The officer buzzed her radio with a chk. Requesting backup, 136 Leary Avenue. We've got a property crime in progress. Fuck you! Do you want a
0: fucking lawsuit? Do you want us to fucking sue you!
1: Gary howled at Megan. The cop and the guy in Scrubs both stepped forward to try and take the baby from her, but she pushed back and turned out to be a lot stronger than I'd given her credit for. The baby was still screaming and bleeding everywhere, and the witch machine was also bleeding, making a low panting sound as the guys in coveralls tried to heft it. Meanwhile, Gary was still screaming at the top of his lungs, and his face was so red I thought he was going to give himself a stroke. He was saying some very misogynistic things. But... This entire time, all of us just sort of stood by and let this happen. Why? Well, I guess, you know, what were we going to do? Gary was from the company. That had to mean something. And if the police were there on his side, well, we all just figured that he must be in the right. After a short standoff, a clump of ten or twelve more officers arrived, and they succeeded in tearing the baby away from Megan's arms and carrying her away to the back of a squad car. Dante took charge of the baby, and by this point, Gary's guys were already halfway down the hall with a trembling machine. For employees of the company, they didn't seem especially competent, and as they veered, bashing into the white-painted cinder block walls, the machine just coughed up gallon after gallon of blood until the whole hallway was covered to the depth of three-quarters of an inch in some places. Gary was the last to go. I thought he'd screened himself out by now, But as he crossed the threshold, he hesitated, raised one finger, and turned on his heel to point at each of us in turn. I, he began, don't
0: ever want to see either of your fucking faces ever again. You got that? You fucking shitheads!
1: At this point, we were just too browbeaten to answer. We just hung our heads and muttered something. Yeah. Gary sneered.
0: That's exactly what I fucking thought.
1: And then he was gone, his heels squelching in the bloody hallway. Everyone turned to look at us after that, and it was clear by the expressions on their faces who they thought was to blame. We were there till three that night, my buddy and I, mopping and cleaning. It must have been about a hundred buckets of bloody soapy water that we each dumped out. Well, We don't talk too much about the witch machine these days. I think we both feel a lot of guilt about what happened. About a couple different parts of what happened. Because I knew better from the very beginning, you know. All these wonderful things, for free! And I didn't need any of them. But it was just so exciting to get them. And the entire time I knew, deep down, that it was too good to be true. That there would be a bill to pay. But I still just went along pretending that everything was going to be alright. Because... I guess I was a child. Just a goddamn child. And then when the bill came due and everything got all fucked up, well... Damn if I just stood there and acted shocked. Like I didn't know what it was going to be like, like I hadn't known any better, which I goddamn had. Sure, the company's to blame, and the big guy's to blame, and the cops are to blame. They all just did what they were always going to do. But I knew better every step along the way. The witch machine just tried to do what it was asked to do. And I should have known better. (laughs) Because at the end of the day, I was always going to be the one mopping up the blood. The Wrong Station is made possible with the generous support of our listeners on Patreon. Patrons can listen to The Wrong Station ad-free, as well as get access to bonus episodes, discussions, and more. This week's episode, The Witch Machine, was written by Alexander Saxton and performed by Anthony Botello. Thank you to Kay Ray and Amelia Davis, and a very special thanks to Davis A. and Megan Nice for helping us keep the lights, well, off. You can also support us by leaving a rating and review on iTunes, or wherever it is you listen to The Wrong Station. The Wrong Station is co-produced by Alexander Saxton, Anthony Botello, and Jacob Duarte Spiel, with music composed and performed on the piano by Elon Citrin, and arranged for the viola and performed by Viola Schmidt. You can follow The Wrong Station on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and email us at therongstation at gmail.com. And until next season...